0: Welcome to the Weekly Squeak, your weekly geeky squeak, with me, Christian Chiller. A short episode this week, just some links. I have no interview this week because I have been busy recording some other interviews, more of which I will cover soon. But let's just get started with some links first, and then I will tell you some news from me after that. First, I'm going to start with two pieces from Rolling Stone. Um one more in the vein that I normally cover, and one that just uh, was just news yesterday the death of Rankin Roger uh, from, as Americans call, the English beat, but um, the beat, as far as I'm concerned. He was only 56, which actually surprised me. He must have been very young during the band in the uh, late 70s, early 80s, I guess. Um, he had brain tumor and lung cancer, which is pretty, <laughs> pretty horrible. Uh, I mean, the, the beat. We're never the biggest band in the world, but um they had some really interesting songs that I really used to enjoy a lot, and uh, I was kind of i haven 't left my scar phase, but um i, mean, I haven 't released anything new, so <laughs> so it's sort of the the when I was listening to those songs a lot more than I do now um and i can 't entirely remember if this is true or not there 's nothing mentioned in the Rolling Stone article, so take this with a pinch of salt, that he invented this sort of style of singing that he named himself this ranking, this um, almost precursor to rap um, also skanking, ranking, toasting um, sort of responsible for bringing it in more into mainstream music not necessarily the first to do it whether you like that style or not is of course uh, it's up to you but uh, you, know, you could never fault someone for creating something new so that's sad, that's a shame I think the band are still touring so I'm not 100% sure what they will do now but um yeah, go and listen to Mirror in the Bathroom and Best Friend straight after this podcast. I have a little bit of a, a theme in this show on older technology, which is very appropriate for my news that I'll mention after these links. And the first uh in this, this block and the second article from Rolling Stone is um an article on uh MySpace. <laughs> Uh, The Internet is Not Your Friend, Myspace and the Loss of Memories, written by E.J. Dixon. This, of course, was a story from a couple of weeks ago where Myspace acknowledged that they had lost a lot of data, including uh, probably a lot of mine, because um, like many musicians, I used to host a lot of things on Myspace. I shuddered to think what the profile looked like. It would actually been interesting to go and rediscover some old tracks, but I can't anymore. Um... And I suppose the the thing that was interesting here is that a lot of people were surprised MySpace was still going. It was actually still a relatively busy website in the grand scheme of things. And I guess that the fact that no one really seemed to care that they lost all this old data um, and that their response was also kind of so blasé. If a Facebook engineer had said to have lost this much data, then of course there would be massive outcry about it. But because it's MySpace, like, well, I didn't even realise I had a profile still. Um, But it highlights that general issue with this reliance on digital storage. And this is a conversation I've had uh, many times with people. I feel like I might have even discussed it on the show before about uh, the convenience of storing things digitally, but how that we, we get into compatibility issues, we get into storage sovereignty issues. We have all sorts of problems about how a lot of creative output that we're creating at the moment in 10, 20, 30 years may not be findable by anybody, may not be readable by anybody. And how do we get around that? I don't necessarily propose printing everything or um, creating physical outputs of everything because also things like CDs and cassette tapes, they also go out of fashion. Uh, this is one of the the, uh, uh, the fascinating uh, facts about the longevity of records and vinyl, in that it's a 100 plus technology, and still you can listen to them. Books, for example, books require no technology, whereas eBooks require a, a reader. Um, I guess the main piece of advice would be to use standards, use things like PDF and plain text as much as possible. Um, That is generally readable by lots of formats, um, and they've been around for a while. Even things like EPUBs, I guess, have also been around for a long time, which are basically HTML anyway, so that's also readable. Um, Music is a harder one, I suppose. Formats like Aif and WAV have been around for a long time, so hopefully they're fairly reliable. Video, again, um, there's a a set of standards that... uh, you can use that have been around for some time. I mean, have you still got a player for Flash video and all those sorts of videos that you used to create? I know I used to create a lot of Flash videos. Um, I don't knowingly have a player anymore. <laughs> Obviously, I think it's still available, but you get my point. So it's an interesting reminder that things on the internet are not permanent and that we should maybe be more cautious of that. That said, of course, we are producing so much content now that how do we even determine what to keep? Because that would be a massive effort in itself. Interesting nonetheless. Next is an article on ZDNet from Adrian Kingsley Hughes entitled Hardware is Hard, the tech products that fooled or failed us. Uh, A nice little gallery of things you might have forgotten about. Hardware is hard. I was surprised by some of the things on this list. Let's Let's have a quick look through. So firstly is the Pebble. I didn't necessarily think the Pebble was a failure, but um, I've never really been into smartwatches, so I don't really know. The Apple Air Power charging mat still hasn't shown up. I mean, this is not that old, so it may still show up. It's also strange because, of course, plenty of other companies have managed to make these wireless charging devices, so it's not entirely clear why Apple are taking so long. Everyone's favourite technology to bash Google Glass I think is a little unfair. Google Glass was a bit dorky and a bit of a failure as a consumer device, but as a commercial enterprise device it has actually been successful not necessarily as google glass itself but as an inspiration to other devices so i think that one is sometimes unfairly lambasted but um of course everyone always likes to put in there to have a good dig about how we thought it looked cool and actually it looks so ridiculous (laughs) segway i wish segway wasn't everywhere, but Segway is everywhere. So again, I'm not 100% sure if I agree with this one because uh, you do see Segway a lot and people still do not ride Segways, ironically. Uh, you still see plenty of people riding them around with no shame. <laughs> um, and actually, I think they have been successful in other places and the company itself got taken over by a, a large company. I think I uh, covered that in our roundup of EFA last year. Um, that Segway is now owned by actually one of its Chinese imitators, which is quite interesting. And the company is now producing a lot of new devices. But the classic uh, Segway that people think of, um, yeah, it's not a bad idea, but it just didn't quite work out as expected. Then, of course, the Juicero. If you've listened to this podcast for a while, when Kate was a co-host, you mentioned this a few times, the expensive juicer that you didn't really need because you could just squeeze the packets. Um, this was a an infamous um, PR and... Uh, fundraising disaster from the past few years. Uh, but I think actually the people behind it have moved on to new things now, so we'll see what they do next, I guess. Snap Spectacles, I, I never I mean, I never even really saw these because Snap Spectacles never came out anywhere else apart from the US. Um, I was kind of surprised they weren't as successful up there with Google Glass, maybe just consumers just are not ready or do really do not want um, always on glasses, which isn't a bad thing, actually, to be honest with you, um, but despite several companies' attempts to convince us we do want them. One of my personal favourites, a uh, a reminder that Apple has not been a flawless company. In fact, it couldn't be further from the truth. The Rocker, the first Apple iPhone. This was a disaster. It was basically a Motorola phone with iTunes on it, and it wasn't very good. It was pre-smartphone era. I don't think it sold very well. It was something of an embarrassment that somehow the company managed to sweep very quickly under the carpet when the actual iPhone came out. And that's some of my highlights. There's there's 18 items you can find here. So go and have a look if you want a good trip or a bad trip down memory lane. uh, And uh, please let me know some of your favourite or least favourite forgotten devices of yesteryear. Moving on to an article on The Verge from Tom Warren about hardware that was successful. This is a nice insight into the creation of the iPhone. This is a, a, a look at... Uh, and an exploration of the original iPhone prototypes. And it's not at all what you'd expect. It's just a big uh, engineering prototype board with ports and testing sockets and all sorts of things. But it's quite fascinating to see how an engineer develops hardware and how it goes from this very unfamiliar board to an actual device. But it has to go through these steps first so people can test things and, and things like this. And it's quite interesting to see the process. I especially love the fact that the display consists of the iPhone display taped onto the board, which is doesn't seem very uh, Apple-like, but is kind of cool to see the, the work in progress there. And finally, something a little different. I guess this could be considered as uh, a trip down memory lane into trends of the past um, because it's an article on Wired by Chris Stokel Walker about how online piracy is upping its game uh, in competition with streaming services and, and this is interesting because back in the day the time of Napster and services like that uh, piracy was rampant and the main reason was because there were no better options along came things like the iTunes store and made it more possible uh, for people to access music and if you provide people with an easy way to do things legitimately most people would tend to follow that. And then came streaming services and streaming services are very convenient but one of the big problems with streaming services is this subscription overload that is being spoken about now uh, where you want to watch one show especially this is especially relevant with TV you want to watch one show you need one streaming service you want to watch another show you need another streaming service and on it goes and it's only getting worse and yet you may only want to watch that one show why why pay X a month for one thing and X a month for one thing somewhere else, etc, etc. And then there's lots of shows that due to licensing reasons don't even come out or don't come out for a very long time or they have exclusivity deals and then you need to sign up for something else and etc, 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 etc. So, and this is especially prevalent in the English-speaking world, it seems. And I know Australia used to be one of the biggest pirates. I'm not sure if they still are, especially with Game of Thrones. How... um, the online streaming sites are now actually almost getting brand loyalty and features to match, uh, their legal competitors. Um, and I have, I have some friends who've sometimes used these sites and they're, they're battery killers because of the ads they serve. And yet, and it can sometimes be such a hassle to actually find working video, but still people use them because they find everything they want in one place. And this is always this interesting example of, uh, that if you don't provide a legitimate way for people to get what they want, they will find another way. Um, and it's a bit of a wake-up call, I think, for some of the, the industry, actually. And whilst uh, numbers for using these sites has dropped slightly, I think the more interesting aspect of the story is how that the sites have improved and how, for many people, visiting these sites has become as regular as visiting Netflix – And they actually will visit the same sites out of loyalty because they know they will find what they want and they're better than some of the others and et cetera, et cetera, which is quite interesting. And I guess these sites only monetize through ads and maybe some other more nefarious ways that we're not familiar with. But it would be fascinating if somehow they could become legitimate and actually become viable business models. Uh, I don't see that happening anytime soon, but still it's an interesting thought. And that's my little roundup of links for the week. Not too much to cover, but I hope you found some interest there. So I've been covering this little theme purely by chance, actually. I didn't really plan it this way on sort of older software and hardware. And I'm pleased to announce that for my new show, The Enthusiastic Amateur, which I'm still sort of honing exactly what the theme is going to be. But it's, it's basically speaking to people who do really cool things in their spare time. Um, and how you can sort of learn from them to to understand the topic that they're passionate about. And I just recorded my first show with uh, Sinclair Target of the 2-Bit Computing blog, where we talked a lot about some of the articles he has written on computing history. So it does tie in somewhat. It was a really good conversation, actually. So it'll take me a little while to polish that and get that ready. But it is done. I will probably start creating holding pages and mailing lists for you to sign up for that soon. And you can get notified of when it's released. Also, my uh, ethical technology newsletter. We will be launching that. I say we because I'm doing it with uh, someone else. We will be launching that within the next week too. So you can have details on how to actually sign up for that uh, next week or in the intervening week, I guess. I am hitting the road uh, soon. So if you would like to say hello, I recommend you take a look at christianchiller.com slash events, but I'm hitting quite a few places. I'm going to Australia for a while, Sydney and Melbourne. After that, I'm going to, uh, I'm not going to Copenhagen, I'm going somewhere near Copenhagen. <laughs> I can't actually remember where it is or what it's called, but maybe you'll be there. Um, I am going to Barcelona. I am going to Birmingham. I am going to Belarus, to Minsk, I'm going to Krakow, and many more to come. So if any of those places jump out as you, then have a look at my events page, and I'd love to say hello. And finally, I am back in the swing of publishing posts again, so you can also go to christianshiller.com slash writing for some of my latest posts, which have so far been written versions of some previous interviews I've done, um, but I'm getting back to tutorials again soon. Just being a bit busy with other work. Um... But uh, keep an eye out there and you'll also find some new posts from me over the next few weeks, which is good. It's taken three months to get uh, 2019 back into full swing. Sometimes that's the way it goes. If you have enjoyed the show, you can find previous shows and show notes at christianchilla.com slash podcast. And you can support the show at slash support, donations, merchandise. I'm going to be releasing some new Chinchilla T-shirts and stickers soon. So you can also keep an eye out for those and ask me for one. If you've enjoyed the show, please rate, share, review wherever you heard it and please reach out to me if you have any questions or thoughts on uh, ChristianChiller.com or at ChrisChinch on Twitter and I'd love to hear from you. But until next time, if you have been, thank you very much for listening.